I often say that we are quantum beings living in a Newtonian universe, right? <laughs> we are deterministic thinkers living in a probabilistic world. And that just gets us all bollocked up, mm. right? Because if, if, if you, when you're born, right, there are any number of preset, prefabricated, prepackaged belief systems, right? That, that you can adhere to, right? So all religion, whether you're a Christian, a, a Hindu, a Jew, a Muslim, doesn't matter. They have their belief systems, political systems, family systems, business systems that, you know, you can choose to adhere to if you're aware of. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest today was Jim O'Shaughnessy, uh, who is a GIF genius on Twitter and also has some really interesting things to say about the named Tao and can point to the unnamed Tao uh, better than almost anyone I've talked to so far. And I really enjoyed this conversation. It's a really uh, meaningful one for me because I was in New York at the time and I Originally, we had decided that we were going to do it remotely, and then I got the opportunity to actually go and visit Jim at his office in Stamford, Connecticut. And that's emotional for me because I grew up, my cousins lived in Stamford, Connecticut growing up, so I have a lot of emotional memories of this area. Uh, it was so amazing to go into his office and have his wife's art all over the wall, beautiful art that you guys should check out, and have this beautiful conversation about the nature of reality and what it means to be a human being living in this world where there's social dynamics but then we also have these laws of the universe that are not clear as human beings because we see everything through a lens of social dynamics and i really just enjoyed this conversation and i hope you guys get a lot of value out of it if you do please leave us a review on itunes find us on itunes subscribe at crazy wisdom iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. I'm also writing and cutting these up into short clips, cutting these episodes up into short clips for my blog at stuartalsop.substack.com. Uh, and so if you'd like kind of a little bit more editorial understanding on how these ideas that I'm getting from other people are impacting my life, and uh, then check it out at stuartalsop.substack.com. Really hope you enjoy this ep episode. Please let me know if you have any thoughts, what you think. I'm on Twitter at Stuart Alsop III. If you want to engage there, I, I try to try to answer all the tweets that are, that are sent to me there. You can find Jim there as well. Um, uh, listen to the episode to, and I'll put it in the in our show notes uh, how to find him. But yeah, hope hope you guys have a great day. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest here is Jim O'Shaughnessy, and we'll just skip the introductions and go straight into it. Right? <laughs> well, yeah. that sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, because you know that implies that people who should know who I am, which they, you know, they do. I I think that that you know would uh, even with ego being the enemy, that mm. feels kind of good. A dopamine hit right at the beginning of the podcast. Mm. How have you dealt with dopamine hits and the uh, the um, the availability of dopamine hits in your life, and like knowing that there those are signals? Yeah. What what, what what how do you view it? So, that's a really interesting first question. Um, I think that I was really lucky in my life to uh, always be sort of voraciously curious. Mm. And so I was curious about everything. 
Uh, Dorothy Parker is attributed to have said that uh, uh, curiosity is the cure for uh, boredom, and there is no cure for curiosity. Um, and so I read a lot about a lot of this stuff as I was growing up. Um, and, you know, back then, no one talked about this stuff. Um, and, and then, of course, we've got your, the entire area where you live programming people uh, to uh, respond uh, and do things a certain way for that wonderful dopamine hit. And so in my life, it was more of a uh, thing where I, I studied emotions a lot because when I was younger, I was very emotional. Um, and I found that um, it was going to probably be better for me in my life to not not be emotional, but rather to be able to control my emotions. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of led me to reading the Stoics. That kind of uh, led me to, to reading Lao Tzu uh, and a lot of the things that I write a lot about uh, outside of Wall Street. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the way I deal with it is, um, I, look, where we live, our lives, everything is impermanent, right? It's, I think that, that if people understood that more uh, holistically, mm. uh, they would understand and be able to control uh, and, and, and have a place for those dopamine hits, uh, for the disappointments, for a lot of the things that unfortunately still today drive a lot of behaviors, mm. and I think mostly for the bad, mm. Uh, because they can get you to do things that you wouldn't, that aren't really naturally in your, uh, aren't advantageous for you to do. Mm. Um, and they allow you to be manipulated, right? The founder of, of public relations actually got his start, and I'm forgetting his name right mm. now, but there's a great three-hour documentary of him mm. on, on the uh, web, uh, studying propaganda mm. and, and essentially Amazing how do you that. toy how do you toy with people? And what are, the, what are the ways to get those dopamine hits? And, and what are the ways to get people to believe like really outrageous things? Mm. Um, and, and when you start to deconstruct all that stuff, you become, uh, you become not necessarily wary, but you become aware. Skeptical. Skeptical. Yeah. And not cynical. Yeah. I think there's a big difference between being a cynic and being a skeptic. Mm -hmm. I'm a very skeptical person, mm. uh, but I'm also what I call a pragmatic optimist. Mm. Um, and uh, people often say, you know, like, well, what is that? Mm. Well, a pragmatic optimist is someone who thinks that, uh, you know, things are going to work out. And, uh, but that is aware. There's a lot of things that could lead things to not working out. Mm. Uh, and mm. you have to be, you have to question everything, right? So, so. I've always been one who just, I think that the way you frame a question is almost more important than the answer mm -hmm. because it determines the answer, right? If you ask a question inartfully, you're going to get a, an inartful answer. Mm -hmm. so. There's a great conversation to be had about technology and as we enter a world where China has more power and technology, but also our own in our own manufacturing capitalism, uh, there is an incentive to have that propaganda cycle increased by technology and 
so there's a conversation to be had there, and I want to have it. But I think the most interesting thing I think we could talk about is basically you said that everything is impermanent. But there is one thing that's permanent, right? And that's the unnamed Tao, right? Right, yeah. right. That's interesting. So I have a I, – I, when I – I was a very young father. I was 24 uh, when my son was born. And um, I decided uh, that I really wanted him and, and my other children – Obviously, I didn't know how many I was going to have at that time. But I wanted them to know kind of what I was like as I went through life. So I started a series of letters to them. And I'll show you uh, one of the books. My wife puts them. My wife is a street photographer, but she's a great photographer. Um, so she puts them uh, in typesetting. And even though I have the original book that I wrote all these letters by hand in, uh, she puts them in a book format with pictures and things. And so I was rereading the first letter that I wrote uh, in 1985 to my son Patrick when he was seven days old. Mm-hmm. And, and the portion where I said, if I had any advice for you, it would be come from Lao Tzu. And it's a quote from Lao Tzu mm-hmm. about, um, about dwelling in your own house and, 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 and being comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. So I've been reading... Like, I will routinely buy virtually any translation of the Tao Te Ching. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of speculation about, you know, did Lao Tzu really exist as one person? As, as one person? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that leads me to also one of my points of view about people who, who confuse the author with what is being written. I think... That's a huge mistake. It leads to ad hominem uh, arguments. It leads to, well, of course, X said that. And that X can't be trusted. And therefore, I'm going to dismiss it. Mm-hmm. I think it, that's kind of childish. Mm-hmm. I think what you need to do is read mm-hmm. uh, or listen mm-hmm. to being, what's being said. Anyway, so I had discovered that as a teenager. And I joked uh, to a friend the other day that, um, I've been reading the 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 Tao Te Ching, you know, for 40 years, and I'm finally beginning to understand what it means. Mm. And and you bringing up the nameless Tao, I I had a hard time understanding what that meant until I started reading some other books um, that uh, that were looking at, you know, what is the most important question that all of us face? Why am I here, right? And you know, what is my purpose? And I don't know if you're a Rick and Morty fan, but I have a friend who wrote a great, and he became a friend after I published his piece on Rick and Morty and, and the secret to the universe. Um, and we were talking on the phone, and, and there's a great scene in that cartoon where uh, Rick is this genius scientist, and, and he creates all these things, and he has figured out how to go through the multiverse. And anyway, the, the little thing he has created to serve butter asks, what is my purpose? And, and he says, to serve butter. And the, 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 the machine drops its head and it goes, oh my God. And Rick says, yeah, he joined the club. So, so I've, I've read a, uh, Jed McKenna. I've gone through all of his stuff. Uh, love it. Um, and, and, but felt this way f- early on. But finally began to get a gelling in, in my understanding of what the nameless Tao was. Because the line goes, the Tao that can be named is not the true Tao. The named Tao is the mother to a million things. Mm. And what that really means is the nameless Tao is 
the universe. It's everything. And if you look at it through, if you study things like quantum physics and mechanics, you understand that what he's saying, or they, or whoever wrote this, is saying is the universe, which can't be named because it is everything. You can't call it everything. It just is. It's the alpha and the omega. It is the experience that we all live through and all are part of. Mm. That's the interesting thing, right? Mm. So we create mm. the named Tao. Mm. And the named Tao is the mother of everything that we, we humans invent, yeah. that we talk about. Mm. It's the mother of language. Mm. It's the mother of thoughts. Duality. It's the mother of duality. Yeah. And, and you've really got to get your mind around the idea of a non-dualistic universe. Mm which I kind of believe we live in. So that means that it's not me and thee, it's we. Mm -hmm. And, you know, science is beginning to kind of prove this. You know, the, the early quantum physicists, everything had to be a thought experiment, right? Because they didn't have the, the equipment to be able to do the tests. Mm -hmm. But as the equipment becomes available, like Bell's theorem of non-locality has been proven mm -hmm. now, mm -hmm. right? So doing something to something here in Connecticut immediately changes something in Moscow. Mm. Or all over the universe. Or all over the yeah, universe, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? And so it's that nature that Lao Tzu et al. have been talking about Siddhartha, Buddha. I mean, they were all talking about the same thing. Mm. And when you start reading the language, you just say, oh my God, they, Right? This is Lao Tzu, what, 2,500 years ago? And yet he is nails kind of the, the what has emerged mm -hmm. after centuries mm -hmm. uh, as probably the best theory of what the universe really is. Mm -hmm. And it is not what, like, the, the stand, I, I often say that we are quantum beings living in a Newtonian universe, right? <laughs> We are deterministic thinkers living in a probabilistic world. And that just gets us all bollocked up, mm. right? Because if, if, if you, when you're born, right, there are any number of preset, prefabricated, prepackaged belief systems, mm. right, that, that you can adhere to, right? So all religion whether you're a Christian, a, a Hindu, a Jew, a Muslim, doesn't matter. They have their belief systems, political systems, family systems, business systems that, you know, you can choose to adhere to if you're aware of. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've discovered in, like, deep readings of Lao Tzu and, and others is, for the most part, most people are unaware of their most, what they would look at as their most profound and deeply held beliefs, mm. they're probably just preferences. And they probably got implanted mm. by society, by your parents, by your grandparents. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I'm saying that it's a human thing. Mm. And, you know, Stephen Picker wrote a great book called uh, The Blank Slate, mm. in, in which he argues that you know, the idea that we come out as a blank slate, that we can turn anyone into anything, is wrong, and that we come out with the software fully installed, right? And it's one of the reasons, if you look at some of the experiments, 
I have a five-year-old grandson and a three-year-old granddaughter, and let's just say I took my grandson when he was born and or my son took him and gave him to a Mandarin-speaking family. Guess what? He'd be speaking Mandarin. Mm. It's in our software mm-hmm. to learn how to talk. Mm-hmm. What do you have to take a lot more time to teach people how to do, mm. how to read? Mm. Why? Because that, that's a relatively recent uh, development. So it's not in our software. Mm-hmm. So we are pre-programmed, I think, to believe a lot of things that aren't true. And, and so one of the things that always helped me in not only my career but in life is kind of the operating assumption that all of my beliefs are wrong, even that statement, right? And so some people will say, well, well that, doesn't that make you a nihilist, right, that, that there's no meaning? And, well, it, can, it leads to certain people being nihilists, right? But those are the people who stop, right? you got to keep going. And when you keep going, it becomes, well, wait a minute. It's like all models are wrong, but some are useful, mm-hmm. right? All beliefs are wrong, but some are really useful. What's a, what's a, what's, if we are going to say what question can you and I answer with certainty, it's pretty much Descartes' cogito ergo sum. Mm-hmm. I think, therefore, I am. I perceive, therefore, I am here, mm-hmm. right? So that we can prove to ourselves, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. unless we're in a coma. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you start looking at everything else, Hmm, lots of uh, axioms that are planted that aren't necessarily true. Mm. And so when, when you have this belief structure that, is, that allows flexibility, back to the Tao, what, is, what does Lao Tzu say about what, what survives? That which is su- uh, supple and which can bend. Mm. What breaks? That which is brittle, mm. you know, stiff of opinion, mm. right? If we're going to change the metaphor, and he uses a tree branch with snow falling, right? So what breaks? The old tree that's stiff. The snow piles up on it, and the branch breaks off. Mm. What survives? Mm. The young, the the sapling, Mm. because it's very bendable and very flexible. And obviously, doesn't take a genius to make the leap to the metaphor towards mindsets. Mm. So it's not that I, I know that I'm filled with all sorts of beliefs, but I also know through reading a lot of history that most of them are probably wrong, factually wrong, mm-hmm. and right? If we go back a thousand years and look at what people believed, mm-hmm. they were wrong mm-hmm. and uh, on, on like almost every level. Mm-hmm. And yet a lot of those beliefs were useful. Like we were chatting before we uh, started the podcast, you know, about the, uh, the, uh, the universe of Ptolemy, right, which, uh, had, uh, which was useful, right? It helped uh, sailors navigate. Mm-hmm. It did a lot of useful things. Mm-hmm. Completely wrong, yeah, right, but useful. And then Copernicus comes along and says, ah, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Let's move the sun to here. And the earth's going around the sun, not the other way around. And, well, what happened? You know, Galileo was almost put to death mm-hmm. for, you know, saying that the earth moved. And, you know, that's one of the things that, again, if you study history, what you know is we're really lucky to be alive now because who did society reserve the most heinous and painful punishments for? Heretics and, and renunciants mm-hmm. and, and for people who 
questioned everything. Yeah. And I think it was Voltaire who said, it's very dangerous to have an opinion that it disagrees with the authorities. Mm -hmm. And if you look at what heretics and apostates and, and renunciants, like the story of Lao Tzu is, is, illustrates this very nicely. He was a self-exile, if you believe the myth. And he was a self-exile because he didn't agree with what the emperor was doing. Mm -hmm. And so he went into uh, becoming a hermit. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a story, again, probably uh, hypocritical, but uh, that the emperor sought him out and was going to make him emperor mm -hmm. because he'd heard how wise the Lao Tzu was. Uh -huh. And Lao Tzu was, no, no. no. <laughs> I don't want that. You know, govern a large country like you would cook a small fish lightly, uh -huh. um, which is another line from, from the uh, Tao Te Ching. But... I just think, you know, it's really fascinating because there's so much wisdom in that book and in, in so many sort of simple things that we, 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 that we much prefer the complex and the ornate mm. as a society today. And I think that that is wrong. Mm. I think it, there's a lot to being very simple. Well, and there's something interesting. I've once heard a distinction made that there's Things can be simple yet complex, but things can never be simple yet complicated. Uh, and they can be complicated and difficult, but they can't be uh, uh, difficult and... Uh, yeah, I understand. <laughs> I understand what you mean. Yeah, yeah and that's, that's actually very insightful. Um, I think, you know, my goal in, in what I do, so we're quantitative money managers, and, you know, there's a lot of reasons uh, for that and the philosophy behind that. It ties in very much with the idea of... Human biases, uh, we're aware of them, and we know that we're just as susceptible to them as everyone else. You know, the, the big problem with most human beings is that they think they're the only exception, right? And, and um, I don't know if you ever heard of Garrison Keillor, but he had a very famous radio show, um, and he had a, a mythical place called Lake Wobegon, mm -hmm. where all the kids were above average. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone was good looking. <laughs> and everyone was a great driver. Um, and, you know, that ain't so. Yeah. And, and we know that. And yet, even intellectually understanding that, it's one thing to be able to intellectually understand something, and it's quite another to not become uh, a victim of it. Mm. So... You know, one of the things that we understand is that, back to this idea, you know, we try to take very things that are very complex, right? So I, I, I'm a lifelong journal keeper, and so I wanted to see, what was the first time I called the stock market a complex adaptive system, wow. right, with feedback? Mm -hmm. And it was like 1988 or seven. And, and, and so I understood that. But what we've always tried to do is to steal a line from Einstein is always make something as simple as you can, but not simpler, mm. right? So if you look for the essence, right? Wittgenstein, I think uh, Wittgenstein had a, had a maxim which was uh, don't look for meaning, uh, don't look for use, look for meaning, mm. right? So mm. that brings in language, right? Language is incredible, but it's also lots of limitations and confusing, right and confusing yeah. you know one of the biggest problems with communication someone once said is figuring out whether it took place mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and yet these are all things we are programmed to assume away mm. right so back to pinker we come out fully programmed well one of my theories is 
you, you know, we are we have all these foibles because our brain really loves us. Mm -hmm. It really does. It wants us to survive, it wants us to survive yep. right? So if you looked at the number of data inputs that hit you or me or any human being on a daily basis, mm -hmm. right? If we were aware of all those, we would go crazy mm -hmm. because we would have no sense of control, right? So our brain is like, mm -mm -mm, no, no, no. We're gonna, I'm gonna block out like 95% of those mm -hmm. stimuli. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna let you have a really nice illusion of control. And consistency. And yeah. we're gonna be very consistent and your life is gonna have a narrative yeah. and all of that. It's all great. You don't have to worry about it, right? And I, you know, one of my theories of mental illness is maybe there's a part of the mentally ill person's brain that malfunctions and allows all that stimulation in. Can you imagine? Well, this I think you'd go crazy. Autistic kids. Yes. Autistic kids have sensory stimulation. I've experienced it where I just have so much stimulation coming in, so many different things, more than the normal person, that if I'm in a noisy environment, I will shut down to a sense. I've learned to deal with it, and actually the techniques of yoga and other things have helped me to kind of synthesize a lot of this stuff. But yeah. And um, there's an important point, which is fear. So I've been experiencing fear, kind of panic attack type, type of things. And I was just talking about it with a friend before I came here. And we came to a conclusion that a lot of it has to do with a seemingly humanly ingrained fear of nonlinearity mm. because I'm opening up to experiences that are nonlinear. So I'm kind of like going back to that, those original stim sensory stimula stimulations where just there was too much coming in, in. So it made my life not linear, not in a story, but crazy. And yeah, this is what I get into the whole show is like this, 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 I'm confronting this over and over and over again, this fear, and it is nonlinearity. And it might be what people talk about when they talk about the unnamed Tao and these types of things where it's just like, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, you know, that's really insightful. Uh, Jed McKinnon, if you read his books, he insists that we are all fear-based creatures, mm -hmm. human beings, mm -hmm. that we fear the unknown, uh, we fear death, mm. we fear uh, a nonlinear world mm. in which things don't make sense. Mm. Um, and there's a lot to be said for that insight. Yeah. Um, when you look at, you know, the, 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 the human animal, um, if you look at who we descended from, right? Who did we descend from? We mm. descended from the most fearful people, if you think about it. Mm. They were the ones who, when they saw that bush rustling on the savanna, ran away. Mm. The ones who went, oh, wonder what that <laughs> is, got <laughs> eaten, yeah. right? And uh -huh. they got selected out of the gene pool. Mm. So who are we descended from? The most fearful, the most terrified uh -huh. <laughs> that survived, yep. right? So it's in our DNA. All humans, not just you, not just me, it's all of us. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing that when you come to this understanding that kind of the universe is just one thing, it's like perfect thought, right? And, and you know, it's, it's like saying, it's the difference between saying, I am a sentient being living in a sentient universe, mm -hmm. to changing that to, I am a sentient part mm -hmm. of a sentient mm -hmm. universe, mm -hmm. right? You see immediately, the one implies that you're just part of it, right? The unnamed Tao, you're part of it. And, and you can make the most of that or you can let it terrify you, right? And, and, and most of the insights that, and by the way, you know, 
it's like if if um, uh, Walt Whitman, who I love, right? I contain multitudes. If I if I uh, contradict myself, I contradict myself. I contain <laughs> multitudes. You know, today he'd be a rapper, right? <laughs> yeah. And and Pink Floyd, they'd all be philosophy professors at Oxford if they weren't such good musicians. And so there's all sorts of different places to find. I mean, my favorite poet, T.S. Eliot, the guy was a genius, right? It's like when when you Start looking at this philosophy of the Tao, the philosophy of of uh, non-dual existence, uh, but of one existence. All of these things really start to make sense. And yet, getting back to your point, fear has driven so much of human history, mm-hmm. if you think about it, mm-hmm. right? And, and T.S. Eliot had this great line in um, uh, the Wasteland series, and the line was, lips that would kiss form prayers to broken stone. Mm. And and if you think about that, whoa, mm. I mean, mm. yeah, you're right. And, you know, his most famous love song of J. Alfred Pufrock is, is just like, a, a, it could be an entire class on on human foibles and and. and People ultimately, real, my, my mom used to say, too soon, old, too late, smart. Um, and, and yet your idea that fear springs from the fear of nonlinearity, unknown, no narrative, right? So I use this example a lot. Human beings are narrative machines, mm-hmm. right? I used to, when I used to give talks on the way we managed money, I say, I tell stories to tell you why you shouldn't pay attention to stories. Mm-hmm. Because between a story and statistical information, the story, however badly told, mm. is going to win every time. Mm. And that's because that's part of us. It's part of our heritage, right? Before writing, all we knew were the oral histories, you know, the Iliad, the Odyssey. They started out as you know oral histories or uh, fables. Mm-hmm. But so when you look at kind of the progression of things. It's really easy for us to look and say, oh, look at those Greeks. They had these gods that, you know, uh, they had a god for the sea, they had a god for the air, they had a god for everything. And gods made everything happen. And well, I mean, you know, if we just dropped someone unexplained without any inference or understanding of history, they might come up with a lot of that stuff. You see the sun? That looks like a god. It does, right? (laughs) And, And so... But this comes back to that point of the beliefs are really powerful for people because they help the narrative, mm. right? And so when people hear me say something like, I, I think that most of my beliefs are false, they, the reaction I usually get is like, whoa, no. If you really want to see people get riled, totally mess wrong. with their beliefs yeah. because that's a no-go zone, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And yet... It's like the way I look at the world is a lot of those beliefs were formed because you're afraid, mm. right? Memento mori. Mm. I mean, we have so removed death from the modern experience mm. that, you know, we always try to pretend that we're not going to die. Mm-hmm. We're going to die, mm-hmm. you know? 100% success rate uh, throughout all of history, mm-hmm. death has. Mm-hmm. And now, of course, they're the ones like Ray Kurzweil and those guys who think that we're going to live forever. And I'd love to believe that that was right. Yeah. Um, I always joke that, uh, you know, Immortal Jim is in beta version right now. <laughs> but it's not true. Yeah. And so 
that, but that's kind of what gives life meaning, right? It, it's like back to the point about, you know, why am I here? And, and, and if the world has no meaning and I die and no one remembers me, why even bother? Why not just jump into the abyss with Nietzsche and all those folks <laughs> and just call it a day, right? Well, you can flip that on its head and you can say, well, life does have a meaning, the meaning I ascribe to it. I can, I, it, life is my canvas. I get to paint this wonderful painting on it or make a wonderful song or whatever. And so if you understand that and you are accept the idea of impermanence, right? I, you know, when I was a kid, not a kid, when I was a teenager and I was started to read at the Tao, it was very ambitious, and, and I wanted to, like, I came from a family where my grandfather was really super successful, and, you know, I wanted to be successful, too. And, but in your own way. Yeah, it, right. Yeah. But so I had this dream that I had more than once, mm. and I actually wrote it down because I had it so many times. And, and it was only with hindsight that I really understood what it meant. And it was, I was sitting on the back of, a, of some future version of me, by the way. It wasn't me at that age. It was me when I was older. Sitting on the back of this beautiful yacht. And I was sitting with a woman, and, and, and there was a, a beautiful vase uh, under glass. And she was going on and on and on and on about this vase. She was like, that is the most beautiful vase I've ever seen in my life, Jim. You have such great taste. You're a great collector of art. And oddly, I do collect art. Mm -hmm. Um, and we'll come back to that because I think that what my grandfather called premeditating things mm. is really powerful, but mm. we'll come back to it. So anyway, um, she keeps saying, I love this face. I love this face. I love this face. And so finally I look at her and I say, it's yours. Take it. Mm. And she's like, I, I can't, I could, that face is, is probably worth a million dollars. I can't take that. And I say, well, obviously, though, it, you, it means more to you than it means to me. So I really want you to have it. And, and we get into this argument, right? And she's just like, no, no, no. And so what I do in the dream is I take the glass case off, and I break the vase, and I throw it into the ocean. Huh. And I say, well, that's, that's that. The end of it. That's the end of it. Huh. And I thought about that a lot. And what... I, you know, maybe I'm slow, but it was obviously a dream showing me that attachments, mm. right? If, if you, it's like the idea of wealth. Wealth can be good or bad, right? And it depends on whether you control it mm. or it controls you. Mm. If you let your attachments control you, that's a bad place to be mm. because you can be manipulated, you can be uh, all sorts of things. If on the other hand, you try to live in a very unattached and I don't mean in in a you know I don't yeah. love my kids I yeah. do love my mm -hmm. kids I my wife my family and my grandchildren I'm not saying that but if you let yourself get attached to things mm -hmm. right material things, things that don't matter, that don't matter mm -hmm. right they that blinds you and it hobbles you mm -hmm. it hobbles your ability to to like really take joy out of life mm -hmm. and and if you go back to the well, let's 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 say the nihilists all jumped into the abyss, so they're all gone. Uh, and you say, well, okay, who's left? Well, us guys who are uh, and and women who are going to say, well, you know what? I'm going to suck the marrow out of life. I'm going to take every experience and enjoy it. But I'm going to do that, understanding 
it's going to come to an end and that, you know, that's okay. Mm. And, and when you understand that, and, and not intellectually, but understand it, it, things like vases, things like paintings, things like things, mm. just things in general, mm. really th- th- their importance to you diminishes tremendously. Mm. And other things like experiences, like conversations, mm. like uh, family, human connection, human connection mm-hmm. become much more important. Mm. And it's worked for me so far. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems to go back to this thing of dwelling in your own house, because it doesn't mean that dwell dwell in your own physical material house. It seems like dwell in your own, like, what is it that's going to pa- pass? What is it that's going to remain after I'm dead? Only attached to those things, essentially, or only, only be attached to those things. I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, but what do you, what is your thought on dwelling in your own house? Like you were saying, is that from Lao Tzu? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, that, that is from, um, you know, there's a lot in, in the Christian Bible also that I've read. I'm, I was raised a Catholic. I'm, I'm not any religion mm. now. I mean, I guess I'd be a Taoist mm. if, uh, if you asked me what I was. Mm. Um, and that's not to say that I have anything against any of those religions. So they all have their belief systems, and, and I, you know what my opinion on belief systems mm-hmm. are. Uh, but if they, if they help their adherents find meaning and dwelling in their own house, then I think that's great. Mm-hmm. I think that the problem comes where we remove agency from ourselves and put it elsewhere. And, I mean, so, again, I said I was raised Catholic, so there's a Catholic uh, prayer called the Gloria Patre. Mm. And, and I haven't been, other than for a wedding or a funeral, I haven't been at a Catholic service in, since I was in my 20s. Uh-huh. And yet I can still recite it, right? It's like I'm talking about the societal conditioning and programming. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really interesting because it goes like this. As it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be world without end. For thine is thine, pointing up at God, mm. right? Not me, thine. For thine is the kingdom, the power, mm. and the glory. Mm. Now think about that for a minute. As it was in the beginning, mm. so past, explained, is now, present, explained, and ever shall be, future, explained. Mm. Nice, nice, beautiful little bow. And by the way, thine, not thine. Mm. So this exogenous being controls everything mm. and me mm. when I think that's a that's a that's a that's a crippling belief yeah. right because if you take all of the agency away from yourself and this fits in with the dwelling in your own house right then you create or it's easy to create a victim mentality which is it's not my fault right it's, it's God or fate did this to me. I mean, you know, I don't know whether you're a music fan. I love music. Carmina Burana, the, uh, uh, the uh, musical thing, O Fortuna, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I did a, a tweet storm and included uh, part of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's everyone blaming fortune. Oh, fortune. Mm-hmm. You know, fortune is, has, you know, the sun is not shining on me. Mm-hmm. Woe is me. And... And that is an idea that I think really disempowers you. As So I also think there are a lot of really limiting beliefs. I think that's one of them. I think that by, by saying, I have no agency, 
that my life is controlled by this supreme being over here that I really can't articulate what it is, mm-hmm. but outside it's outside of me yeah. and it's controlling everything I do. Well, then what am I? I have no agency. I'm a puppet. I'm a slave. Mm-hmm. I'm a zombie, mm-hmm. right? And then I'm just going to sleepwalk through life because, I, right? I, I have no control over myself. Mm-hmm. And so... I think that a lot of that is is baked into people's belief systems. Again, Adam and Eve. Why did Adam and Eve get thrown out of the garden? <laughs> because they were curious. Agency. And and, yeah. and they 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 took the only thing they weren't supposed to have, which again, why would an all-knowing deity try to deny knowledge to his creation. Uh. It doesn't make any sense, uh-huh. right? So, but what, what do they do? They eat the forbidden fruit, which mm-hmm. is knowledge. Yeah. Think about that for a minute. Mm-hmm. We got cast out of paradise because we were curious seeking knowledge. Yep. <laughs> and I, I love it because the strain goes not only from Adam and Eve, but straight into the enlightenment with Newton. And what did he get hit with? He got hit with an apple. And then what did Steve Jobs create his company called an apple like it's these myths that are just like exactly yeah. and they're so beautiful mm-hmm. and it, it i often you know the the phrase there are there are no coincidences is is one that several writers that i've read have used and 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 i used to use jung's synchronicity mm-hmm. um but isn't that interesting right mm-hmm. newton getting hit by the apple mm-hmm. steve jobs coming up with apple and and now we're all um, you know using our iPads to read these these old theories, uh-huh. but you know it's it's interesting to me because again that brings us back to why would we come up with these kinds of myths if we weren't ruled by fear, mm. right? Mm. It, we wouldn't. We we would come up with a much more profound uh, creation uh, myth mm. um, if if it wasn't. Fear-based. Mm-hmm. If it was, um, if it was optimistic, or if it was um, life growth-based, mm-hmm. it would be very different, mm-hmm. right? And and so, it's one of the things that I like to point out because it's there's there's literally millions of invisible holds mm-hmm. that society has on all of us, mm-hmm. and. We're unaware of them. Mm. And and you can, I don't know whether you're a literature fan or a movie fan, but, you know, Scrooge, right? And what is Marley after death? He's covered in chains, mm. right? And and these chains are invisible, but they're on us now. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like Plato's allegory of the cave, right? So the, the, a more modern version of that would put it as a movie theater, mm. right? And And it would have us all captive in this movie theater Right. And the movie is life mm. and it's we got to watch it. Mm. And the, the, the thing that Plato points out and that future people who played with this idea point out is the chains are imaginary. Mm. We're not chained. The doors aren't locked. Mm. We're, this is a dungeon of our own design. Mm. I, had a, I had written something down. I just had a thought because I was reading him earlier, and and this is such a great line. Emerson, Ralph Waldo Emerson, a man is a god in ruins. Mm. And and then he goes on to say, when men are innocent, life shall be longer and shall pass into the immortal as gently we awake from dreams. Mm. And I love that because he, Whitman, all of those guys that transcend, you know, they basically figured that out. And they figured out that that you know we got to wake up 
open your eyes. And you can only experience that because they, they, they're able to write that because they've experienced it. Precisely. Yeah. And, and you can't, you, you know, a lot of the put-downs that you see uh, online these days, uh, the, the one that I loved uh, in, in a perverse way, I don't, think it's, <laughs> I don't think it's nice to call anyone this, but they call people non-player characters, mm. right? Mm. And for anyone who, like I grew up on the first generation of video games and I mm. loved them. Yeah. And, and so that made me laugh out loud when I, because I had to so, look it up. Because yeah, yeah. I, I just, saw the, I just yeah. saw the initials, NPC, NPC yeah. and I'm like, NPC, I wonder what that means. Yeah. And so I went to the Urban Dictionary and looked it up and I started laughing out loud uh-huh. because I remember playing all those video games uh-huh. and it was like, especially some of the text games, th- that character could only have like five responses, mm. right? Yes, no, go that way, <laughs> ask again. Uh-huh. And and so when mm. you, you know, when you experience that, it, it's funny, it's mean, mm-hmm. but it's very funny. Mm. But, you know, a better way, Shakespeare talked about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Nothing is either good nor bad, but thinking makes it so. Mm-hmm. And making this connection that you've got to be active, you have to be curious. And 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 so many of the foundational myths of of creation are: don't be curious, don't look over there, and whatever you do, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain, mm-hmm. right? And you know, it's it's just. If you read a lot and you see things like Alice in Wonderland, I wrote a paper when I was in high school, of all things, talking about how Alice in Wonderland was not a children's story at all. Mm. It was actually a very philosophical treatise by the mathematician mm. Charles Dodgson, mm. whose pen name was um, was mm. Lewis, uh, Lewis Carroll. Mm. Um, and I don't have you ever read the book uh, Godel Escherbach? No, I was just talking about Godel though. Okay, uh-huh. so Godel, mathematician. Mm. Uh, with the famous incompleteness theorem. Mm-hmm. Uh, Escher, uh, artist who did all of the uh, uh, recursive uh, drawings. Mm-hmm. So it was the staircase that the guy continually tumbled down and just kept going mm-hmm. round and around, mm-hmm. never ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love Escher's work. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Bach, mm-hmm. my favorite musician. Mm-hmm. Um, and Douglas Adams, who wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the uh, Galaxy, had a great quote, which is, Beethoven tells you what it's like to be Beethoven. Mozart tells you what it's like to be a human being. Bach shows you what it's like to be the universe. Mm. <laughs> and, and if you listen to Bach's music, it's true. Yeah. This man was a mathematical genius. And yet, so in Godelescher Bach, there's a part where he's talking about Lewis Carroll, a.k.a. Charles Dodson, the l- logician, And he wrote a a very short piece called What the Tortoise Said to Achilles. And basically the so what of the piece was an argument that that was, uh, it it Mm. reduced everything, right? He kept, it was a dialogue where the question kept asking, well, how do you determine that rule? Well, how do you determine that rule? And it just kept going uh, ad infinitum, right? Mm. Right down to the tortoise proving, schooling Achilles on the idea that every system, every system, from logic to math to science to everything, starts with a human being deciding, I believe this, right? Mm -hmm. That's the beginning of logic. Well, why do you believe that? Mm, There's the rub, right? 
the what the tortoise said to Achilles basically proves the point that it does start with just an act of faith, mm. which is, I believe this. Mm. And then from this grows logic, grows rhetoric, grows math, grows science, grows everything. Mm. It all starts with an arbitrary human decision to say, yeah, mm. this is right. And this is what kind of gets into one of my previous guests talks about. And I'm not sure if this was actually from Nietzsche, but but he got the impression from reading Nietzsche that the world is unknown. I cannot know the world in its full complexity, but I have to act. So this is what I believe. I know that it may be wrong, but I must act. Boy, I tell you, I I, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't. I didn't hear the the broadcast, but you know, I I've always said that uh, action without knowledge is foolish, but uh, knowledge without action is futile, right? Mm-hmm. So I would I would agree with that. I would think you know that you 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 have to unite knowledge and action. Action is a requirement of moving forward and further mm-hmm. in the universe, mm-hmm. and I think that that's really true. Um, the you know there's a lot of people in this world that have lived and are living now who are vastly smarter than I am, but have taken no action. Mm. And so there they sit. Mm. They're in stasis. Mm. And you can be the world's most intelligent human being. You can have solved Godel's incompleteness theorem. And if you don't take action and say, hey world, Mm. look at this. Mm -hmm. Look at what I figured out. Mm. It's gone. And so I've always believed, and this kind of brings me around to my grandfather's point of premeditation. What does that mean? Well, it, it fits really nicely with this idea. Knowledge alone, worthless. Knowledge married to action, powerful. You, you can move the world, right? And, or for your little time here on the planet. And, and so my grandfather was very successful in the oil business. And he was what they called a wildcatter. Mm. And uh, for, for a long time, a great irony was he didn't trust Wall Street. And, and so uh, all of his competitors were speculating in the 20s. Um, and, you know, a nickel or a dime on the dollar leverage, uh, that'll get you every time. Um, and they all went bankrupt in the crash. And he went out and b- bought them all out at, like, pennies on the dollar. Uh-huh with creating one of the world's biggest privately owned oil companies and then he proceeded to give all his money away long before the Bill Gates and and Warren Buffett's of the world decided it was a good idea. Mm -hmm. He actually did it. Mm -hmm. Um, But so I was lucky because I was his youngest grandson. I have a cousin who's his youngest granddaughter but she didn't live in St. Paul whereas I did. And when I was born in 1960 um, he was my only living grandparent. Mm -hmm. But he would come over to the house for dinner um, once or twice a week. And so I got lots of exposure to him. And one of the things he would tell me was, you need to premeditate things. And I would say, well, I, you know, I was a kid. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> and he said, what you want to do is envision what you want and then envision all the paths that will either get you there or not get you there. He said it's really important also to think about well, what if you get what you want and it turns out, ooh, I didn't want that really because it leads to bad things. And I would understand it now in modern terms as a Monte Carlo simulation, right? He was doing that, right? So you send all these vectors out and this is how I learned how to think about things, right? So one of the things that I find very powerful 
is the this idea of manifestation. And if we remove all the goop and the new age nonsense from it, mm-hmm. it's all it's, it's doing is this. Yeah. It's your premeditating things. It's like the writing things by hand. Mm-hmm. I talked to a neurologist once and I was saying, have they ever done a study about this because I find that actually writing something with your own hand is much more powerful in the brain than typing it or saying it or whatever. And I was really interested, is is there something that kind of proves that this is right? And the neurologist I was talking to said, I'll take a look. I seem to recall that that was given as one of the reasons why certain stroke victims, they can't speak, but they can sing because they're in different parts of the brain. Mm -hmm. He said maybe the actual act of writing with your hand goes to a different part of the brain. Well, it's interesting because, and if anybody listening to this uh, finds an error in this, please let me know. But uh, fire, so we had fire as uh, we were able to manipulate fire. How do we manipulate fire with our hands? Our hands used to be supporting um, organs, so they used to be on the ground supporting us. And then at some point we were able to start manipulating things with with Mm. our hands, one of which is a pen or art or something like that. And so that grew in con in in the, at the same pi- time period as our frontal cortex. Well, that's so a great a answer. Very, actually, yeah, there's a very very clear correlation between um, opposable thumbs and a four frontal cortex. Fascinating. Yeah. you know that's interesting. Um, I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. Mm. That makes sense on the face of it. Uh, I'm gonna do some research mm-hmm. on that yeah. because that that and then also another that's interesting a good story. thing, which is which is dopamine. Parkinson's, uh, where movement starts to get affected, uh, happens because of dopamine, the ability for the brain to, uh, I think, uptake dopamine. I'm not sure about that. Don't, don't quote me on there. Uh, and movement is one of the best ways that you can um, uh, enhance dopamine's effect. So like uh, uh, dancing is one of the clearest ways that you can make yourself feel really good, yeah. um, which is also very ancient. goes back to a very long time. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's really fascinating. It's kind of like uh, Taleb's uh, uh, Lindy, mm-hmm. uh, anti-fragile stuff, mm-hmm. right? If you want to know what to eat, look at what your grandmother or great-grandmother ate and eat that yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> because probably okay. Yeah. Um, and I love this, the, the manipulating fire with the hands, uh, with co-evolution uh, with the prefrontal cortex, mm-hmm. which is the newest part of the brain, right? Mm-hmm. Just talking about this earlier, and you know, it's the reptile brain, mm-hmm. right? That's the that's the brain that consumes all the energy. Mm-hmm. If you actually look at, mm-hmm. they've actually done studies of this. Yep. It is the what some people call the unconscious or subconscious, mm-hmm. which is actually the reptile brain, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the reason it consumes all the energy is because imagine having to think about breathing. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I got to remember to breathe. Mm-hmm. Got to remember to make my heart beat. I've got to remember to you know, do all these things, well, we would die very quickly as a species, mm-hmm. right? So the brain, the the uh, reptile, the original brain, mm-hmm. that takes care of all that mm-hmm. for you, and that's why it consumes so much energy. Mm-hmm. The prefrontal cortex is, new. evolutionarily speaking, brand new, mm-hmm. right? And it's like we're optimized for 50,000 years ago. <laughs> yeah, which is a question I want to get into, which is that we're optimized for this place where looking at bushes, being fearful of bushes was a really good idea. And now we're in a place where there are no bushes, we're in cities and we're surrounded by people and we're, it's all about social hierarchy and all these different things. And uh, there's, uh, I've been reading Robert Sapolsky's Behave and it's this great book, it's into the neurobiology of behavior. And if you look at the brains of people 
the frontal cortex grows as you have a larger social network. So the more people that you're aware of and can kind of deal with these social network type of situations, the, the, the more attuned your, your frontal cortex this is a grave oversimplification. But uh, it's really interesting. Like, and so we're in this world that rapidly changing. Like in the last 10 years, we've grown these social networks, which we, you know, we met on like this, yeah. you know, this thing that, and, and it's, and it's, where is this going? <laughs> wow. I mean, that, I, that, that's, really, it's, that's really fascinating because we were just having this discussion uh, with a couple of my colleagues mm-hmm. at lunch. And um, so I'm, I'm developing a theory of mimetic behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they gave it the fancy name mimetic. Exactly. All it means is that you, mm-hmm. you, you copy people. Mm-hmm. And so I started trying to figure out why is that? because it's, it's painfully evident when you actually start looking at what, what people do. Mm. And so I started looking for uh, other human cultures where hierarchy did not exist. Mm. Couldn't find one. Mm. Even if you go to the Amazon tribe that's never been exposed to the modern world, mm. there's a hierarchy, mm. there's a chief, there's a, there's a principal soothsayer that, mm. you know. And then you go to the animal kingdom and by the way, anyone listening, if you know of either an animal uh, species or a human civilization where there was no hierarchy, please hit me up on Twitter, J.P. O'Shaughnessy, because I'd love to hear about it. Yeah. Um, but I haven't found one. Huh. And then you go to the animal kingdom and, oh, my God. Mm. I mean, it's nothing but hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And and then you start to put it, well, of course, right? If If you're in a tribe of baboons— and you're the one tier below the alpha male, what are you going to do? You're going to copy that behavior because you're going to want everyone to think that you have a chance to do that too. What's interesting about mimetic behavior is that it drives a lot of what we do, but again, our beautiful brains do us a big favor and immediately post hoc invent a very rational reason for that behavior. So. There's tons of great uh, uh, studies in psychology and sociology that replicate. That's important because there's a replication crisis. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of great studies that replicate that show this to be true. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from things like uh, everyone is in on it except the one guy in the waiting room and a bell rings and everyone stands up when the bell rings. And and the line, you know, that people mm. saying this line, that line that is obviously not the longest, is the longest, uh-huh. and like virtually everyone breaks yep, agrees and and, and yeah. agrees with yeah, it, yeah. and so it it. But we re, we invent reasons post hoc why this isn't the case. Well, I'm developing this theory because I think it has profound implications for investing. Mm. If you can empirically determine, mm. right, when, so. Stock markets, complex adaptive systems like culture uh, with feedback. But generally speaking, they are heterogeneous. In other words, you might buy Apple from me, and we're both right. I'm selling it because I'm 59, and I want to give the money to my grandson. You're buying it because you're 24, and you want to save for the future. Um, Difference of opinion. Galton, of course, was the first to show wisdom of crowds, right, by by aggregating all of the farmer's bets on the weight of a cow and finding that the average Mm -hmm. of all the guesses was closest to the actual weight of the cow. So that's why markets work really well. And that was kind of the kernel of efficient market theory, right? Is that they truly are, Mm -hmm. with a variety of opinion, that's key, they aggregate up to the net best guessed estimate for what's going to happen. Which is like a 
Fama French efficient well, market theory. No, but it's also a, a free speech. Why it's important that free speech. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. right? Yeah. Because they net out. Mm -hmm. So that's true until I, in in my theory, and just a hypothesis, right? Mm -hmm. Let's stress that mm -hmm. um, is that under certain conditions, what I call information cascades occur. What's an information cascade? It is information goes from being kind of staticky and interpreted very differently by a number of different people to being very clear mm. and interpreted the same I'm by everyone. Yeah. And opinions move from heterogeneous to homogeneous. Mm. Everyone has the same opinion. Mm -hmm. And that's why mimetic theory is really important mm. because even if they don't believe intellectually, mm -hmm. they act that, that and way. And make the rationalization afterwards. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you could figure out a way mm -hmm. to determine that this flip has occurred, we now, I think, through machine learning, mm -hmm. have the ability to do this. Mm -hmm. We never, it's like I was talking earlier about quantum and it, they didn't have the tools mm -hmm. and now they're do and mm -hmm. are proving these mm -hmm. things. We now do have the tools. Mm -hmm. And so we're working on a project here that we're looking for empirical evidence because kind of at my core, it's in my DNA, I want empirical evidence, mm -hmm. right? But back to the, the question of social networks and, and what's happening, yes, I totally agree. And yet one of, the, one of the other things that's weird that's happening is the increase, especially among younger people, mm -hmm. of loneliness mm -hmm. and despair. And, and because they're not taking that next step, which you take, right? So we're here in person. We're talking to each other. I believe that any human communication, if it's important, has to be in person. Mm -hmm. yep. It has to be. Mm -hmm. Because, again, evolution has made it so that you and I are aware of, like, the way I'm holding my hands right now. Right. If, if you want if I want you to not believe me, what mm -hmm. would I do? I would yeah. point at you uh -huh. and I would say you do this mm. very bad. Mm. I would make stabbing motions mm -hmm. with my hands. If, if I want you to believe me and be on the same level as mm -hmm. me, I do this open. hands open yeah. up. Mm. And so all of that is communication. Mm. And so the next step of these social networks is the one that's the most important. And that's the being, meeting in person. So now I know you. So I might see you when I come out to the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. We might develop a relationship. Mm -hmm. I've met a lot of really fascinating people on social media, mm -hmm. but only it's when I speak with them or see them in person mm -hmm. where that relationship cements itself. Mm -hmm. Some of the greatest new friends I have, mm -hmm. I found that way. Mm -hmm. But that's the step you've got to take. Yeah. Right, which nobody's training them to, to take. do yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. right because because yeah. what's happened is we're doing the biggest social experiment in human history mm. without a control group. Mm. I had a, I had mm. one friend joke. Well, there's always the Amish. <laughs> <laughs> I said, true. well, that's true. <laughs> They're probably not big enough uh -huh. though. Yeah. Uh, but but really, that's what we're doing, yeah. right? Uh -huh. And 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 so what also happens during these times mm. is. There are times of great upheaval, right? And and people, back to the narrative, right? People don't like that. Mm. They don't like nonlinear jumps. Mm. They don't like quantum leaps. Mm. They, they like nice, neat stories. And that is not what happens, right? So it's like somebody said to me, you know, it just seems to me that we've never in human history had so many crackpot ideas mm. 
and, and, and foolish people. And I said, no, no, no. We've always had the left side of the tail. Yeah, it's just they didn't have a microphone. Uh, yeah. it, you know, they, they would write crank letters to the editor, and the editor would pass them around, and everyone would have a laugh, and then they'd bin it, yeah. right? And they couldn't find other people who were doing the same thing, which is now possible, because now you can find other people. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can find your micro tribe, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And I always joke, you know, use Groucho Marx's uh, the the most intelligent marks I've ever uh, come across. Uh, I always say, you know, I don't want to belong to any club that wants me as a member. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but most people, it's the opposite, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Those people can find their tribes, right? Mm-hmm. So the Flat Earth Society, mm-hmm. right? That's a thing. Mm-hmm. It it's off. a real thing. Yeah. And and you, it doesn't matter how crazy or insane mm-hmm. the idea is, you'll find a group out there, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And so... What we've done, which we're, we'll, we'll find out, right, <laughs> one way or another, yeah. <laughs> how it works out. But we've given a voice and a platform to the formerly voiceless and platformless, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it isn't that people, these people didn't exist. They always existed. Mm-hmm. They just didn't have the microphone, mm-hmm. right? And now they do, and we get all these crazy theories and what. And again... What happens is choice multiplies. Mm. And another thing is you can get people to choose things if you limit their yeah, choices rather yeah. than enhance. The thing with loneliness is that in the infinite choices, it leads to loneliness. Because, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it also leads like things like Instagram, mm-hmm. right? So what's happened is the, the, the people who have become victims, if you will, mm-hmm. of Instagram is they have created an idealized false life, a Potemkin life, mm-hmm. a Potemkin village mm-hmm. of a yeah. life. Mm-hmm. But then suddenly they start looking at that fictional life, which is their own creation, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, "My real? Life? why isn't my real life like mm-hmm. that? If you want a recipe to be depressed, yeah. that's a good one. Well, it's also interesting because I, so I was, a, as I mentioned before, we started recording. I've, I've been a yoga teacher. I, I actually don't teach as much yoga for the reason I'm about to say. Uh, and so I was like, okay, I'm a yoga teacher. What are most yoga teachers doing? Now they're on Instagram and they're taking pictures of themselves doing poses. So I started doing that. So I started having somebody else take a picture of me when, when I was taking a pose. Right. And after a couple of months, I was like, I'm in pain because uh, I'm doing poses that uh, that are look good that look the ideal of yoga which is to be flexible uh, which I'll get to in a minute and so I was doing these poses and I was was in a lot of pain and then I found out from a great yoga teacher who goes to the science and the evidence of what yoga says uh, names Jules Mitchell and she talks about hypermobility so hypermobility is when your joints are hypermobile and they go past the range at which they normally should go Uh, and 20% of the population is hypermobile in general 60% 60% of the population in a yoga class is hypermobile. Yoga teachers are usually hypermobile because they're the ones who say, oh, you're really flexible. You, you're really good at yoga. You should do more yoga. turns out those are the poses that they shouldn't be doing. So Instagram is making, get, incentivizing yoga teachers to create the image of a yoga, yoga, yoga teacher 
and then to further pain um, <laughs> cycle, which is like crazy. Like it's it's exactly what you're saying. You know, it reminds me of when when my wife and I celebrated our 25th uh, wedding anniversary. We love Italy, mm. and we brought our kids there almost every summer. Mm. And so we decided for the 25th anniversary, uh, we would uh, bring the whole family to Italy and and have some festivities and everything. And we had a photographer, Italians. I love Italians. Yeah, They're just fantastic. Talk about people who know how to live. Um, anyway, we had this photographer, and his English was maybe not so great. Mm. And my youngest, who I told you earlier, is now a stand-up comedian in Chicago. She's very, very funny. Mm. But so he was posing us all. And uh, he wanted her to get into a pose that uh -huh. was ridiculously unnatural. Uh -huh. And she looked at him, and she said, it's not possible. And we have this joke in the family, because it, his response was, it is possible. <laughs> <laughs> but the point was... What is completely an unnatural, same with smiles, mm. my kids have taught me this, mm. same with a lot of things, what is completely unnatural looks natural, natural. looks yeah, good in the photo. Yeah. And so that really connects with the idea mm. with what you're talking about. Mm. So that, you know, what happens is people give into that, right? And, and, and they start comparing their actual life with this fictional life that isn't possible mm -hmm. and it isn't even desirable, mm -hmm. really, mm -hmm. right? Like bad poses making you in pain. Mm. And yet it, it they just keep at it. So mm -hmm. that's a downside of social media, mm -hmm. I think. And, and, you know, the microphone for a lot of fanatics and, and mm. oddballs. I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not opposed to oddballs, yeah. right? <laughs> I, in fact, you know, one of my ideas was if I ever do have a, a formal um, uh, foundation, philanthropy, I'm going to seek out the oddballs mm. because everyone's getting the regular grant money that 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 that's already that's been blessed, mm. right? And I, I want the people who are everyone's saying, hmm, that's a little out there. So we're going to have a much greater variance. Mm -hmm. But you might also you mentioned uh, loon shots. Mm -hmm. um, you might have a really incredible yeah. discovery. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, during these times of, of uh, great upheaval, um, people become um, much more fearful. They become much more agitated. And unfortunately, you know, it's, it's, it's a way, you know, I talk about click farms, right? Mm -hmm. Well, if it bleeds, it leads, right? Mm -hmm. Again, mm -hmm. let's pander to the fear. Mm -hmm. and, and so the world, if you look at it just objectively, and I, I'd even let the other person pick these stats. But if you look at things like uh, infant mortality, if you look at people's, uh, the, the death rate from things like explosive diarrhea, mm -hmm. which 30 years ago like, killed a million people. Mm. Literacy. Mm -hmm. Everything. We are right now, we are at the, Z, we are at the height mm -hmm. of human achievement. Mm -hmm. And yet everyone's miserable. Mm -hmm. How is that possible? Well, there's a lot of reasons for it. We're discussing some of them here. And and but I look at it again kind of as a process. And this is gonna go on for a while. Mm -hmm. This is new and we're not optimized to this. Mm -hmm. We're optimized to a very different uh, world. And and yet mm -hmm. I still think that human beings are among the most adaptable creatures on the face of the 
planet, mm-hmm. right? And and it seems like with technology, we might actually be close to further making that process of adaptation faster with things like biotech and everything like that. Potentially, yeah. yeah. Or and making it or problem. making them, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, one of the other things that I always get on my soapbox about is first order thinkers, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So if you're a first order thinker and it's the 1920s and you say America has an alcohol problem, and you know what? Factually, they were absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. America did have an alcohol problem. Mm-hmm. People were, uh, especially among what they then called the working class, were getting their wages going to the bar, getting drunk, going home and beating up their spouse or their children was bad. Mm. And, you know, this was a real fact. And so things like temperance unions and all that sprung up and everything. And so a first order thinker would think, okay, well, easy. If we've got an alcohol problem, let's make it illegal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, okay. That you're not considering the second order and third order effects of what might happen, mm-hmm. right? So the second order effect is people are drug-seeking animals and they're going to continue to seek alcohol and you're going to create this incredibly powerful thing called the mafia and mm-hmm. the mob and that's going to get into the judiciary and mm-hmm. that's going to get into the police and it's going to be bad. Yep. And we see the same thing with so-called war on drugs, right? They're not thinking of the second and third order Mm -hmm. effects. Mm -hmm. And so same is true with biotech, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people like CRISPR, hey, I think it's amazing. But I also think lots of chances for uh, the code to go bad. But does that mean that I think we should make it out law? No, of course not. But it's like, should we have guidelines, right? I don't know whether you're an asthma fan, but iRobot, mm-hmm. you know, the rules for robots. Yeah. I think that makes some sense, yeah. right? There should be some guidelines around what you can and can't do. Mm-hmm. And and yet it's kind of like Pandora's box, right? And once you open it, mm-hmm. everything escapes yeah. and, and with it hope. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm, again, look, there are a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. But I remain very, very optimistic. There's a great book called The Ultimate Resource by a guy by the name of Julian. His name was Julian Simon. Mm. And he made a bet with a Malthusian uh, back in the 70s. And the Malthusians were like, everything is bad. We're we're peak oil. We're going to starve to death. We're going to – everything's bad. And so Simon was like – I can't remember the guy uh, he made the bet with, but – He's, I think he might even the, the guy he made the bet with might even still be alive. Mm. I'll have to look it up. Mm. I'll email it to you. Cool. Um, anyway, so he said to this guy, "You know what? You're saying we're peak oil, we're peak this, everything. I'm going to let you pick the I can't remember the number. You know, the five rarest elements mm. on the planet, mm. and I'm going to bet with you that 20 years later they're going to be cheaper than they are now, adjusted for inflation." Uh-huh. And the other guy is like, "You're insane." He goes, why would you ever say that? He goes, because the ultimate resource is human ingenuity, right? Simon won the bet. Mm. And it's like, you know, we go from we have to import all our oil oil crisis to we're now exporting oil, human ingenuity. Mm. Now, a lot of people argue that that's bad, Mm. right? Mm. There's a lot of people who are against fracking or against all of these innovations. Mm. And look, I'm not... I'm not saying they don't might not have a point. Mm-hmm. What I am saying 
is that if you allow, if a system, well, you mentioned earlier, free speech, mm. really important mm. if you want to net out, get good decisions, mm. right? Because you've got to let the person who you most disagree with, yep. if you don't believe in his or her right to speech, you don't believe in free speech, yep. right? Mm. And, and so I'm a nut on that. Mm. I think, you know, I often say, thank God for the founders and the First Amendment, mm. Because there would be speech laws, there would be wrong think. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to be, you don't have to read Orwell twice mm -hmm. to understand that we're, there's a lot of that going around. <laughs> and, and so, but, you know, I, I stick with Simon. I believe ultimately human ingenuity mm -hmm. solves a tremendous amount of problems. Mm -hmm. Now, Look, will is there a possibility that 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 I'm wrong? Of course there is, absolutely, by definition. And but I I, I try to always be on the side of what are the probabilities, mm -hmm. right? So if you and I thought thought only in terms of possibilities, you wouldn't be sitting here because you wouldn't have left the Bay Area because you would have said. I'm gonna get into a car crash on the way to the airport, and if I make it to the airport, the plane is gonna crash, yeah. and and then you know bad people on the East Coast are gonna kill me. Mm. You'd just you'd mm -hmm. be a quivering mess, yeah. right? So if you if you think in terms of possible, right? You the world is your oyster if you want to write uh, Orwellian fiction, mm. right? But in, if you think in terms of the probable, mm. then things are much, much different. Mm. So that's really good. And I, we have a couple minutes left, and I sure. want to make sure that, because there's something you've been repeating on Twitter and, and um, in messages and stuff, uh, Jed McKenna, you're a huge fan of Jed McKenna. What was the one book of his that changed your life, and what was the key point you took out of there? So um, let, me, let me back up and mm. say I, I am of the opinion that Jed McKenna is a, is a character, mm. is a fictional mm. character. I believe he is the invention of a very, very, very intelligent person. Huh. I mean, just his take on Moby Dick alone. Huh. If you're a literary guy, you, you put aside enlightenment. You should read it just for that. Mm. This is a very educated, incredibly smart person. Mm. But I think he's playing the ultimate oh. metagame, mm. which is he says that life is is a dream state. Huh. He says that we're all fiction, mm. that we're all, you know, cre you know that the, the, that it, it takes a lot of time to go into it. Mm. So, mm. but 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 so I think this very brilliant person, man, woman, whatever, or group of people maybe, huh. created this character called Jed McKenna, and created all of these events to make his points mm. or her points, and. I think it's great, mm. and I, I hope I'm right, mm. right? Because it would be the ultimate, it would be the ultimate proof of what he's saying. Mm. I'm a fictional character. <laughs> <laughs> it's all an illusion. I, it's all an illusion, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for playing. And so I think the, the, the original um, uh, Enlightenment, It's the Damnedest Thing, mm. uh, is, is, it's a three, it's a trilogy. Mm. That would be the, that would be what I would recommend people start with. I would actually step back and, and, and read uh, 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 Dan's uh, piece on, I'll put it up. Mm. When, yep. when you post this, I'll post the, uh, the Rick and Morty um, uh, essay. Post, yeah. yeah, because mm. that's what got me to read McKenna. Mm. And, and so what, what was the most profound thing? 
I think was as I was reading the book, I, I, I literally put the book down and looked at my wife and said, wow. And she goes, what? And I said, every book that I've ever loved, every poet or thinker that I've ever quoted, he's quoting. He's using the same quotes that I used. Yeah. Alex, for all the way back to Alexander Pope, hmm. uh, talks about Siddhartha, hmm. right? And and by the way, Siddhartha by Herman Hesse, hmm. great book. Um, and 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 it's just like the, the it's like he has a window inside my brain, yeah. and so the 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 connection and and his way of explaining things in a very simple, you know, like. The only truth we know is cogito ergo sum, and he would extend that to um, um, I, I experience, so I, I exist. But, but that everything else is unprovable and based on a belief, which is, in his opinion, and increasingly mine, false. And that frees you up to think a, a lot of different ways, and that extends you into... Uh, thinking of life as let's make it a movable feast mm. and let's let's put meaning in it mm. where you know where meaning does not exogenously exist which is how most of us derive meaning exactly because of mimetic desire yeah <laughs> and so um i would I, I would also caution he's not for everybody mm. right uh, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> because you know he's he's harsh yeah. he's very harsh to spiritual seekers yeah. Um, and 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 really harsh. Um, and he said that they're just there to keep you in the dream state, mm. and they're selling you what you want because enlightenment. Mm. You want to be enlightened? Mm. Let me tell you, it kind of sucks, oh, right? And 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 he even is. If you read all of his stuff, and I have, mm. he even goes on to argue later in several books later that what he calls the adult state, which is what he says, self-born and lucid, awake in the dream state, but still in the dream state, is the best, mm-hmm. right? Because that's the one where all the magic happens, mm-hmm. right? In the real world, mm-hmm. you're on a barren rock mm-hmm. in the middle of a caring, uncaring universe, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And not fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. but, but, but so I think why I connected with him and 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 he puts in modern vernacular mm. what Lao Tzu I mean bringing it full circle yeah. right mm. the gateless gate which is what uh, all of the Zen people talk about it's like what's a gateless gate well exactly <laughs> right yeah. uh, the gateless gate is the gate that there is there in your mind but doesn't exist in reality mm. right it's like before enlightenment the mountain is there during enlightenment, the mountain disappears. Mm-hmm. After enlightenment, the mountain's back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And so it's just, it's, I just love reading these various takes because they all, I, it's just, it's, it's, it's like it's this not, circle. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's just, not a linear, it's not a line. It's, it's not a, a line, it's a circle, <laughs> yeah. and it is, you know, the yin and the yang. Mm-hmm. It's the symbol of, of Taoism. Mm-hmm. The Korean flag, yeah. by the way, mm-hmm. is the I Ching. Mm-hmm which is a different book that we didn't talk about at all. Mm. Uh, it's a book of divination, right? But the idea that we live in an interactive universe, mm. I believe very much. And I believe that manifestation, right? So if 
everything you see is a cloud, you're going to get rained on a lot. And if everything, you know, direct your feet to the sunny side of the street, you're going to generally feel that way. Now, that doesn't mean bad things aren't going to happen to you. They are. We're all humans and they happen. And but they're now let's switch real quick to the Stoics. Mm. You determine how you react to those. Mm -hmm. That's key. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you if you read the Stoics, Marcus Aurelius and you know, Seneca and at all. Mm. And for a modern take, Ryan Holiday mm. uh, has a book called The Ego is uh, the Enemy. Mm. Uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, and you read Lao Tzu. And then you read McKenna for kind of for laughs because he's funny too. He's really, really funny. Yeah. And I like really funny, and I can't remember whose quote this is, but you know, the world is a tragedy to people who feel, and it is a comedy to people who think. Mm. And you know, let's think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Monty Python. Uh, what we need to think about is why are people wearing more hats? That's a funny video that I'll also put a clip up to when you post this. Uh, when you post this, cool. Well, thank you so much. And how can people find you to find out more about? Uh, they can find me on Twitter, uh, JP O'Shaughnessy uh, at JP O'Shaughnessy, mm -hmm. um, and uh, they can find me uh, for business purposes uh, at uh, the website OSAM Oscar Sam Adam Mary mm -hmm. stands for O'Shaughnessy Asset Management. Um, and uh, they can, between those two, uh, they'll be able to uh, find me and, and mm. see my zany uh, antics. Cool. <laughs> I love it. This was so much fun just recording all this. Oh, uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. That was fun. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a great day. I'm really excited to have this episode out to you guys if you like what i'm doing i release episodes every monday and friday on my crazy wisdom itunes account um you know this is kind of raw i don't really do a lot of editing it, these are just my conversations and you know i've been thinking a lot about this this finding quality so i aim for quality with the content i'm producing i still don't have the resources yet to uh, to invest in the quality of the production value uh, but I'm doing the best I can, and I'm providing this quality of of content. That's what I'm really. I'm. I like having interesting conversations, and I like having impactful stuff from people who are in the arena, really battling out there, trying to create something meaningful. And and I'm trying to share those lessons that these people have stuck inside their head, and don't have the time to really get it out. And that's really my passion and my gift. And I hope this gift is working for you guys. If it does, please find me, stuartalsop.substack.com. Subscribe to my newsletter there. Have a great day.